Hey, well, welcome everyone to Blackhawk Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it's great to have a chance to uh, be with you. Welcome to everybody uh, at Gospel Fusion across the hall and Traditions. Welcome to everyone at uh, Blackhawk Downtown and Blackhawk Fitchburg. Uh, welcome to our BCM people. We're just glad that we can all have a chance to be together. Obviously, welcome to you all live in the room right now, too. So, uh, so I actually, you're not going to hear me speak today. I actually have the privilege of introducing you to uh, a person that you're going to hear for the first First time uh, preach here at Blackhawk Church on the platform. Uh, a handful of years ago, we had the chance to hire a guy named Chris Cop, and uh, Chris came onto our staff originally after going to the UW uh, as an intern here in our worship arts ministry to be a worship leader. He was an intern, and uh, then from there decided he thought full time ministry was in his future. Took off and went to Denver Theological Seminary, and from there was hired on in a church in Denver to be their adult ministries and spiritual formation pastor for a handful of years. And then uh, we had the chance to hire him back, actually back into our worship ministry to be one of our worship leaders. And through that, he is just a majorly creative guy, has helped us tremendously with everything that we've done with our podcast and a lot of the things that we have done online during the last two years. And, uh, and then just in this last year, we had the chance to uh, really change his position and move him into the spot of being the site pastor for everyone here at our Brader Way site. So uh, that's the position that he's in. And today you get a chance to hear him preach for the very first time. Now, now this is just something to know, okay, for, for all of you. Anytime that you get up here on stage, um, it can be a little nerve wracking, especially the very first time. And, uh, and so would you all do something with me? If you're watching online, if you can, you know, maybe you can light up the chat right now at all sites, all venues, especially right here with you live people. Would you just join me in welcoming Chris Kopp to the stage for the first time to preach? All right, well, thanks for the warm welcome. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Chris. You can call me the other Pastor Chris if you would like. I get that a lot, so I'm used to it, and it's totally fine. Um, a little more about me. I grew up in Wanakee, graduated from the UW. Uh, it was actually there that I met my wife, Amy, and there that I became a Christ follower my freshman year of college. And really quickly afterward, I uh, got really involved at Blackhawk, serving with worship arts and leading life groups and all that kind of stuff. I was actually... Well, like here in this spot about 12 years ago that my wife and I got married in this very room, we got baptized together just on the other side of the hall. Shout out to all the Gospel Fusion people over there. And so, man, this place has just been so incredibly formative in my own life and so really humbled and grateful to have this opportunity. Uh, before moving back to join staff here, I spent about six years in Denver, Colorado, and we loved our time out west because, well, because there's mountains, but also because it's where we got our first home. Uh, it's where we got our first dog, a golden retriever named Maddie. And it's where we had our first child, a daughter named Addie. Uh, Addie is five years old now. Micah will be three this summer. And yes, you heard me correctly. We have a Maddie and an Addie in our home. It was not intentional, but it's all very confusing in our house sometimes. 
Well, in the last 18 months or so in our time in Denver, we had a, well, let's just say it was a challenging season. I just started at this new church when three months after moving into a new building, the lead pastor and one of the other founding pastors on staff confessed to moral failures on the same exact day. Uh, It was an incredibly uh, messy, difficult season. A short time later, they would resign and actually plant a church just a few minutes down the road. And so the few of us pastors who were left trying to hold together the pieces, were trying to hold together a church that was fracturing, but that was confused, that was angry, and that they were hurting. Uh, And about 15 months after those pastors' initial confession, we were able to hire a new senior pastor, and uh, we moved back to Wisconsin shortly after. But if I'm honest, in that season, I too felt angry and frustrated and bitter. I had a lot of questions about God and why he would allow these things to happen, a lot of questions about church and leadership. And it took a while, but I got to this point where I realized, like, if I wanted to again experience the kind of life with Jesus that I knew was possible because I'd experienced it before, then maybe it wasn't just, like, the circumstances and the people around me that needed to change, but something in me and my own life needed to change. And so, honestly, I knew what I had to do. I dug in. I was desperate to experience Jesus, to get to know him more, to grow in my relationship with him. And this series that we've been in, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it was a lifeline for me, going through these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, over and over again. I was desperate to meet with Jesus and to hear from him. Now, maybe you can't resonate with like every aspect of my story, but my guess is there's something in these last two years that have been, in your lives, disorienting or led to confusion or hurt or bitterness. Maybe related to COVID or race or politics or family disagreements or broken relationships or grief or loss. There's so much that we're all navigating in this season. So how do we weather all of that? Well, in the passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew 6, at first glance, it appears to be all about hypocrisy and hypocrites. But what we're actually going to see is that Jesus is giving us this invitation to a life that is deeply connected to him, that's rooted and firm in him. But it'll also warn us that sometimes we shortchange ourselves and we trade in the possibility of living that kind of life for another kind of life that's far less connected to him and far less grounded. So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18, so maybe pull that up on a device or on a Bible in front of you. As you're doing that, let me just play tour guide for a moment and give us a couple things to watch out for. The first one is this, that about halfway through, we're going to come to one of the most famous prayers in the entire Bible, maybe even the most famous passage in the New Testament. It's a prayer sometimes called what? The Lord's Prayer. All right, there were like two people that got it. Congratulations. We're going to read it in context. We're going to read all 18 verses. It's a long passage, but we're going to just read it so that we see how it works with the rest of these verses. But it's so important that Matt is going to give a message on that in just a couple weeks. 
Second thing to watch out for is that even though these 18 verses are broken into different sections in your Bibles or on your devices, Jesus is using these three different illustrations to really talk about the same thing. All 18 verses are kind of working together. And within each of those sections, we're going to see three main themes. So watch out for those. Here they are, the themes of motivation, secrecy, and reward. So watch out for those as we go. But let's dig in. Let's read Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then here's the Lord's Prayer. Would you guys actually read this with me from the screens? Here we go. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, great job. You guys can stop there. I'll take it the rest of the way. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And again, Matt will talk about all that in a couple of weeks. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now throughout this passage, Jesus is highlighting three different practices that are common to the Jewish faith in the first century. The first one is this. It is giving to the needy, sometimes referred to as almsgiving. Now, in the first century, there wasn't social security, there wasn't welfare, really no kind of like social security net. So it was really important that people take care of each other. And in the Jewish faith, this was one of the main ways that people expressed worship to God. But as Jesus kind of hints at here, it could also be abused because apparently people would parade around their generosity and make it super obvious to others that they were really generous, that they were giving a lot of money uh, to make uh, people really think more highly of them to draw attention to themselves. Second practice that we see is prayer. And again, in the first century, uh, this was something super common to, uh, to the Jewish faith. And they would pray at three fixed times 
throughout the day. It's this really, really beautiful rhythm of prayer that uh, even many Christian traditions now, they continue to do that. But again, it's something that could be abused because apparently people would, when these fixed times of prayer just happened to come along, they would make sure that they were like in really prominent places in the community so that everyone would see them to draw attention to themselves. And then finally, Jesus talks about fasting. Um, This one might be the least kind of common or least familiar to us. Jesus isn't talking about intermittent fasting or some kind of dieting thing, but the kind of fasting that we see throughout scripture is most often done in times of grief or sorrow or when they're confronted with the reality of their sin or they're confessing their sin. But by Jesus' time, Jews prayed at two, uh, two days a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. And again, it was something that people could take advantage of. They would make it super obvious to others that they were doing this practice. And that, uh, again, maybe people would think that they were more holy, more righteous. But in each of these practices, Jesus used them to illustrate his main point. And in each of these sections, he'll use them to talk about the three main themes that I gave us at the beginning. And he's going to repeat some phrases over and over again. Maybe you saw them. Here they are. He'll say, hypocrites do these things in, uh, to, in public to be honored by others and seen by others. So there's that motivation piece. He says, they have received their reward in full. There's the first time he talks about reward. Instead, Jesus says, do it in private. So secrecy. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, talking about reward. So as we continue, let's look at those three themes in more detail to really try to dig in and see what Jesus is getting at. So let's start with motivation. Look at verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So right away, Jesus like zeroes in on the kind of righteousness, but also the kind of hypocrisy he's going to be talking about. It's not a hypocrisy necessarily based on saying one thing and then failing to live up to it, but a hypocrisy that's based on wrong motivations. For example, look at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So in this example and all of the other ones that Jesus gives, their hypocrisy is doing the right things, but with the wrong motivations. In this case, they want to earn the honor of other people. They're like actors on a stage trying to get the applause and the affirmation of the crowd. So in these verses, Jesus is completely flipping the idea of righteousness upside down. Because it's not just about what you do and what you don't do or checking all the boxes. The Pharisees were really good at all of that. Pastor Chris, number one, talked about that a couple weeks ago. But for Jesus, a truly righteous person does the right things with the right motivations. And what's the right motivation, you might ask? Well, that's why we read the Lord's Prayer in context earlier. It's that God would be glorified, that he would be honored, and that his kingdom might come. We honor God when our spiritual practices are an act of praise and not a performance. If you're feeling like a little uneasy or a little uncomfortable or convicted after hearing some of these things, uh, join the club. Because if I'm honest, I struggle with this pretty much every single day. I think it's a struggle for anyone that comes up here to teach or to preach or to lead 
worship. Because on the one hand, like, yes, God, I absolutely want you to be glorified, that people would grow, that we'd experience you as we open up your word. But can I be honest? Like, I also just want people to like me. Or at the very least, like in front of all of these cameras these days, not to make a fool of myself in something that's going to live on for all of eternity on YouTube, right? <laughs> Maybe you can't relate to that example, but here's, here's another kind of embarrassing one from, from my life. Uh, back when my wife Amy and I, uh, really before we were even first dating, I was trying to figure out a way to impress her. So I had this plan that I'd put on like a little concert, maybe write a song or two, sing a few worship songs, you know, like really put on a performance to impress her, make myself look really holy. Because come on, like I can write music, I can sing, I can play guitar, like it's just good stewardship to take advantage of all of those things, right? At least that's what 21-year-old me thought. But she heard about my little plan for a concert and she said, nope. I don't want a performance from you. And besides, you've probably done that for every girl before me. <laughs> and she wasn't wrong. <laughs> See, I just wanted to do these things to put on a performance to make myself look good, maybe make myself look extra super spiritual. My heart, my motives needed to change. Now, can guitars and worship songs be used in a genuine way to worship God and to honor him? Of course, like that's what we just did uh, a few moments ago as we sang and we worshiped together. But I'd use those things to make myself look good. Now again, maybe those aren't your areas of struggle. They're probably not. But my guess is we all struggle with mixed motives. So here's a couple other ideas for perhaps what that might look like today. The first one has to do with prayer. Like have you ever been in a group setting, praying out loud, maybe in your life group, you were praying and you got to the end of your prayer and you realized, like, I was more concerned with what the other people around me thought about my prayer than what God did. No, just me? All right, I guess I'm the only one. How about when it comes to social media? Like, there's a lot that's really great about social media. It can have a tremendous amount of good in our lives to keep us connected, but it also has, like, this powerful pull toward self-promotion and toward performance. So when we engage with social media, do we do it in a way that genuinely seeks to honor God, to glorify him, or is it, again, is it to promote ourselves? Is it for our own glory? And again, I know that this is difficult. Even if those aren't your things, we likely all struggle with mixed motives. Now, in the midst of um, talking about hypocrisy and hypocrites and all this kind of stuff, there's something that my guess is that we're all kind of thinking right now, and that's this, that um, Chris, like the American church doesn't really have a great track record when it comes to hypocrisy for a whole variety of reasons. Even sitting in these seats right now or watching online or at one of our other sites, you have been hurt, maybe in the not too distant past, by a hypocritical person or a, a hypocritical leader or a religious organization that on one hand, they did all the right things, they said all the right things in public, but then behind closed doors, their private lives were a mess. Maybe they were even abusive and harmful toward you. And if that's you, I just wanna say that I'm so sorry that you experienced all of that. Maybe you're wondering uh, how my own story at the beginning ended and the answer is not great. 
I said that the church uh, basically split in half. They planted a church. About half the people went with them. About half the people stayed. But I know there were some people that didn't end up anywhere because they were just so burned by what happened. And coming out of that season, I personally know the sting that hypocrisy can leave. Like, I know what it's like to enter into someone's home, to share life with them, to share meals with them, only for them to cut you out of their lives entirely when you are no longer convenient to them. Or I know what it's like to be praised face to face by someone, but then again, behind closed doors, they're abusive and slanderous toward you and those that you love. And I know what it's like to harbor unforgiveness, knowing on one hand that I should forgive them, that I should move on, but that that's also easier said than done. And I also know the deep questions of faith that can come in the midst of a season like that. Like, is God even good that he would allow these things to happen? Or if this is what our churches are producing, if this is what's happening, do I even want to be a part of another one in the future? And if that's you, if you're asking similar questions, maybe like me, you've entered into this season of deconstruction, this process where we like pick apart the different aspects of our faith, trying to figure out what's good, what's healthy, but on the other hand, what's toxic, what needs to, what needs to go and be more fully centered on Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to say that that can be a good and a healthy and a necessary thing. You're deconstructing not because it's like the trendy thing to do, but because you're trying to untangle your past and and the hurt that you've experienced from this kind of faith that maybe you grew up with or that you're accustomed to. And Jesus, I think, he actually invites us into this same kind of process. So if that's you, I just want to say that I see you and I empathize with you. And I hope that Blackhawk can be a place where Uh, You can express your doubts and ask your questions and begin to heal. Uh, We're not perfect either, but hopefully you get a sense of authenticity and graciousness from us. And if you do, in fact, want to rebuild and to restore your faith into something that's more fully centered on Jesus, then we're in the right place, that place being the Sermon on the Mount. Because I think throughout this sermon, Jesus actually, again, he invites us into this process of deconstruction and then reconstructing in a way that is more fully centered on him. Over and over again, he says, you have heard it said, but I say, it's this invitation to recenter ourselves on what it looks like to follow him and recenter ourselves on his vision for humanity. So I love that we're going through this series. We get to cut through all of the noise and just hear from Jesus himself. And what does he say about hypocrisy? (laughs) You don't like hypocrisy? Well, me either. Join the club. And over and over again, he calls us to a different way of life. But at the same time, again, we have to have enough humility and self-awareness to know that we're all susceptible to hypocrisy and to these kinds of mixed motives. So if, that, if that's the case, it begs the question, like, how can we be changed? How can we be transformed? Well, it actually tells us, right, in this passage, look at verse 6. It's through secrecy. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. So according to Jesus, the safeguard against impure motivations, more than that, the practice that God uses to change our motivations and form us is secrecy. 
Now, Jesus isn't like expecting us to make every single aspect of our faith private. We know this because just a chapter earlier in chapter five, he says, let your light shine before others that your father in heaven might be glorified. But what he is telling us is not to do these things in public in a way that glorifies ourselves instead of God. And you guys, this is completely upside down from what the rest of the world is like. We value what's done in public. We reward the most successful people. We reward the biggest donors, the most generous people. We name football stadiums after them and buildings and classrooms and all this kind of stuff. But with God, what's done in private matters most. What's hidden and inside matters. Like, have you ever taken a bite into food that looked amazing on the outside, but when you bit into it, it was like, Oh my goodness, what, what was that? What, what did I just experience? Uh, a long time ago, I studied abroad after college, and uh, about just a few minutes down the road from our apartment building, there was this bakery that had these immaculate-looking cakes and pastries and cupcakes, all this kind of stuff. But every single time, I would get tricked into getting one of those things because I would bring it back, I'd take one bite into it, and it was just like biting into a sponge or a cotton ball or something. Like, there was just no flavor. There was no sweetness to it. I would come to find out sometime later that people in this country just didn't really like overly sweet things. And there's nothing wrong with that, but for me, someone who has a bit of a sweet tooth, I just left kind of feeling disappointed. So fast forward about a year. It's my first week back in the United States, and I go to a wedding with my wife uh, when we're still dating. And... It's time for dessert. They're about ready to pass around the cupcakes. And I'm like, this is my moment. This is what I've been waiting a year for, finally to experience some good, sweet pastry, a, a good cake. So they pass out the cupcakes. There are a lot of people at the wedding, so they, they, they were nice-looking cupcakes, but nothing extravagant. And I took one bite into it, and it was like, I must have gotten real quiet, because my wife leaned over to me, and she said, are you crying right now? <laughs> and I was, it was just so good. I was tearing up. We know this, that what's inside, it matters. If it's not good, if it's not healthy, then none of the other stuff really matters. And that's just a silly example. But with God too, what is done in private is most important. What's hidden and inside matters. Now, up to this point, there's one last theme that we haven't fully explored, and that's the theme of reward. And Jesus actually tells us that there's like two competing, two contrasting rewards, and we can only have one or the other. Here they are. He says that we can be honored by people or rewarded by God. So to the hypocrites who are motivated by seeking their own glory, he says this. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, whatever praise you get from people, that's all you're going to get. But to those of us who do these things with pure motives, Jesus says this. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what's the reward that we get from God? Well, he doesn't exactly tell us in this passage, does he? We know that he's not talking about salvation because as Christ followers, anyone that's chosen to follow him, our salvation is secure through the work of Jesus on the cross. 
But beyond that, scholars kind of disagree on what exactly Jesus is talking about when he talks about reward or when he talks about treasure. On one hand, there are some scholars that believe, like Jesus is talking about a physical, tangible, literal thing, that when we get to face to face and we meet Jesus for all of eternity to varying degrees, depending on how we've lived our lives, there are rewards we get, like a mansion or a crown. On the other hand, there are scholars that don't really believe that any of that is literal or physical. They think it's more uh, metaphorical. But what almost everyone agrees on, at least in this passage, is that whatever reward there might also be when we spend eternity with God, Jesus has in mind a reward here and now, and that's the reward of relationship with him of intimacy with him and greater righteousness and holiness and the life change that that can bring. So when we come to God with motives that are set on glorifying him and honoring him, we can experience deep intimacy with him in a life that's rooted and grounded. So don't miss this. Don't settle for the praise of people when you can experience deep transformation and intimacy with God. So how do we apply all this to our lives? There was a lot that I was going to say in this section, but I'm just going to give us one thing or one challenge, and that's this. Do something in private to connect with God and don't tell a soul about it. Now, I realize that for every person sitting in this room, everyone watching online, that is going to look different for everyone, depending on your season of life, whether you're married or single, whether you have kids, what your job looks like, what your career looks like, it's going to be different for everyone. For example, for me, I'm the parent of two little kids, and while life even now is full and it's good, it can also be exhausting, Uh, but especially so when Micah was first born. He was colicky, he had reflux, And so the days felt really long, lots of crying, not many peaceful moments. And the nights felt really short. There was not a lot of sleep happening. So for better or worse, I was not that dad that was like getting up an hour before everyone else and quietly like sipping my coffee, Bible open as the family came down, doing my morning prayers. Like that just wasn't the reality. But what I could do was on my days off, I could pack the kids into the minivan and just start driving north on 12 towards Sauk Prairie. And usually they would fall asleep at some point. Praise God for minivans. (laughs) Sometimes we'd make it to the bridge that goes over the river, sometimes even to the ferry, but every single time I would have an opportunity to just connect with God, to talk with him, to listen to scripture as we drove, to listen to worship songs and to worship in that moment, really doing whatever I could just to connect with him. So I was the guy driving around town in a minivan just so I could connect with God. But again, it's going to look different for everyone. Maybe you're a student that on your way to class, you can talk to God and pray or reflect on a passage of scripture. Maybe like me, you're a tired parent that when the kids are finally in bed, you can listen to scripture as you do the dishes at night or just talk to God and pray as you're holding a sleeping child at night. Maybe you work 50 plus hours a week and you need to do that before your head hits the pillow, just again, listening to scripture or reading a passage and reflecting on it. Whatever it looks like for you, take time to connect with God and don't tell a soul about it. 
Now, I don't think I need to remind anyone. Uh, We've been in this every single day over the last two years, but it's been exactly two years since COVID like completely flipped the world upside down. And as a society, we're pretty good at identifying the things that have changed, the losses that we're grieving, the ways that life just looks different. But uh, the question I want to ask us is this. Over the last two years, when it comes to your relationship with God, how'd that go for you? Maybe at the beginning of March when things first shut down and we weren't able to do in-person services for about a year, you quickly realized that your relationship with God was kind of tied to coming to a church service this one hour a week. And when that went away, so seemingly did your relationship with God. Now, there's no shame in recognizing that. We're all on a journey. We've all learned things about ourselves over these past couple of years. But knowing that now, what could it look like to personally reinvest in that relationship and to connect with him? For some of us, it's just been a crazy season. You're trying to get the kids through virtual school in that first year or so. There were a lot of ups and downs, a lot of things competing for our attention. We were all kind of in survival mode. So maybe in the midst of that, our relationship with God just didn't, it wasn't a priority anymore. It just kind of went to the wayside. But I wonder if you remember what it was like before that when you were able to meet with God on a regular basis. What was that like? And how could you rekindle that relationship, reprioritize it once again? And some of us were thinking, well, it's been a difficult two years, but I've actually grown in my relationship with God more than ever before. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I want to continue to dig in. I want to continue to know him more. Well, praise God, continue to do that. And then for some, this is completely new to you. You have no idea why you're sitting in this seat or watching on YouTube or Facebook. But at some point over the last two years, you've realized that there's this like longing in you for something more. And so here you are checking out this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, wondering if there's something to it. So let me just say, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so glad that you're here. And if there's anything that we can do to help with that, please let us know. But same thing, how can you just begin to connect with God to pursue him. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or read the whole Gospel of Matthew and learn more about the life of Jesus. Begin talking to him, begin praying, but same thing, begin to find a way to connect with God. At Christmas Eve, Matt talked about how life is like a roller coaster. How many of you guys remember that? Kids up here, it was this fun thing. Hasn't really gone away, has it? Uh, January and February has continued to feel like it's going up and down and up and down. And I don't know that that's going away anytime soon. In the midst of COVID and political turmoil and now war and all the things that are happening in our world, we're going to continue to have ups and downs. But in the midst of that, Jesus offers us a way of life that allows us to stand firm doesn't mean that there won't be rain, that there won't be storms. Actually, he says that it's going to rain, it's going to storm. And for some of us, it's been raining for two years. But there's a way to flourish and to remain grounded when we come to him in private and connect with him, grow in relationship with him. So that's my challenge for this week. Whether today or as you go from here the rest of the week, find opportunities to connect with God. 
He longs to meet with you and help you to experience his love and his presence. Let me pray for us. God, even now, I'm sure, just looking at the faces of people that um, there are things in our lives that continue to make it feel like a roller coaster. We continue to ride the waves up and down. War to the east, there's things in our own lives, a new diagnosis, all these sorts of things that we're trying to weather. But God, we praise you that you offer us a way of life, a rootedness, a connectedness to you that allows us to stand firm in the midst of that. God, would you be our refuge and strength? As we reach out to you today, as we seek to connect with you, as we pursue you, God, would you draw near to us? Help us to become more aware of your presence and what it is that you want to do in our lives. Would you bring us comfort and hope and peace? God, we praise you that you are a God who shows up, that you're personal, and that you allow us to have this deep and intimate relationship with you. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.